From WDBM East Lansing, this is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. And hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, our weekly conversation about the 2020 presidential campaign with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman. And then our weekly trip down Michigan's musical memory lane with Rich Tupica. But first, the unrest last Sunday in Lansing over the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis has raised questions about police treatment of protesters in Lansing, especially over the use of tear gas. We raise that question and others to the president of the Lansing City Council, Peter Spadafore. Peter, I want to uh, start, I want to get to the budget, uh, but I want to talk to you first about what's happened in Lansing the last week uh, since the uh, uh, protest and uh, unrest in downtown Lansing. And I want to start by uh, saying that last night I watched as these young people sat in front of the Lansing Police Department asking someone to come out to talk to them. And eventually, uh, a sergeant came out. Yes. And it occurred to me, that would have been a great opportunity for the mayor, for the president of city council, for someone to address these people. So I want to ask you about whether, in fact, we're getting, is the community getting the kind of leadership it needs right now? Well, I think I think what's happened is you're seeing you've got imperfect leaders who are trying to make decisions. And what I think we can do better as leaders is listen more and use that feedback to help make our decisions better. You know, last night I was not invited to be part of the of protests. I did not know what was going on. So you're right. That would have been a great opportunity for me to be to be present in the community and hear from members of our community who are trying to have their voices heard and express their frustrations. Um, mea culpa, I was not aware of the event and I, I could not be there. And I think when you texted me, I had already put my phone down for the evening and was was either sound asleep or on my way to, to, to such a state. So um, in future, I hope folks feel comfortable reaching out to me to um, have me be at those types of places. I'll keep my ear closer to the ground to see if there's an opportunity for me to be in places. Um, you know, Sunday's protests, um, I had every intention of being down there, and then I, I saw from organizations that that I trust on their information that this was not an officially sanctioned event, and they were asking folks not to come down at, at one point in time. So I didn't go down, and I regret that to this day that I didn't go and and talk to folks in the crowd. And that's something um, I just gotta maybe maybe stay off Facebook and then actually go down there and 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 not not, not heed those warnings as much. But um, that that was my fault. So yes, I do think we can do better, and um, I proposed middle of this week, um, that we will put together some listening sessions uh, with the City Council's Committee of the Whole, and we're not doing them at City Hall. Um, I'm in the process of trying to spec out some outdoor spaces so we can do it with a socially distant, appropriate amount of space um, and you know, microphone set up and things like that to see if we can um, have a good community dialogue, at least get it started while we're still trying to preserve that social distance. And quite frankly, many people may not be comfortable walking through the metal detectors of City Hall near the police department to come see us on the 10th floor. And I, and I accept that and I, res- I respect that. So it's my responsibility as the leader of this, organ- this, this body 
to uh, figure out ways to bring the conversation to folks who want to have that conversation. So I'm working with leaders in our community to try and identify who would be the best organizations to try and partner to make sure that, that the grassroots um, participants are there as well as the leadership. And I hope that we can, we can build from that discussion. Uh, there's been quite a lot of debate in the community about whether tear gas uh, was necessary. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, I've never had to sit in the, in the shoes of a law enforcement um, person uh, and those decisions that have to be made, I've not had to make them. I wasn't downtown, as I mentioned. I don't know exactly how things played out. It's unfortunate that tear gas was deployed or chemical agents or whatever the vernacular is. Um, it's specifically unfortunate that there were children that, that had um, tear gas in their eyes. I myself, I was um, in college during the MSU um, unrest and I was with some college administrators as a student council person and uh, got tear gas in my eyes and it's not, it's a very unpleasant, terrible experience. And so I apologize, um, you know, that, that folks had to endure that. I don't know if it was the right move or not. I wasn't there. Um, we are obviously going to have that conversation at council about policies related to those types of things. And that conversation I think begins on Monday, you know, June 8th is our first council meeting since, since the protests. Um, and I know there are several members of the council, myself included, who want to piece together timeline of events, the truth, to see if there are weak points in our policies as far as um, use of force, use of tear gas, crowd control, those types of things, um, really to get at are we doing the best we can. You know, I've recently been shown, and I, I'm, my apologies not knowing about it, was the eight can't wait steps that are being promoted across the country in ways that we can help close opportunities for police brutality to exist. Um, and really uh, create a more uh, supportive law enforcement mechanism. Uh, those are eight things that I think are, are great to look at, um, including de-escalation and, and you know, weapons as a last resort, those types of things. So um, I think there's an opportunity to learn here. And while I don't know all of the details, you know, I've read the press releases, I've, I've read comments in the papers, I've read uh, feedback from residents who've sent me emails. Uh, we don't have an, a complete picture yet. And I know that LPD, is working to put that picture together, including claims made about um, a driver who um, used her vehicle in a, in a crowd. Um, there's video that I've seen that's pretty disturbing um, and they're trying to piece together the, the full picture. And I know council is gonna begin that conversation at June 8th because there are many people, myself included, like I said, who are interested in that full picture and wanna make sure that if we did the right thing, then that's what we, we find out. And if we didn't, how we, how we change policies to reflect um, higher expectations. Uh, there has been no city press conference uh, with either the mayor or the police chief. Uh, do you think that's a mistake uh, given the severity of what's occurred here? Well, I do know that the, the mayor did his video yesterday. Uh, you know, I think openness is always a good idea. Um, I try to do like my videos on Facebook after council meetings to allow folks an opportunity to, to question me about um, concerns that they have and, and, and city business. Um, I think we could, we could do a little bit more to, to talk, but I also think, you know, Burl, we, we have to spend some time listening and, um, that's what I'm planning to do with these listening sessions. I know the mayor's office just announced that they're going to have a town hall with, with the diversity commission. Um, I think all of those are great steps. Now I'm not the mayor. I, you know, I 
I, I won't second guess whether having a press conference is a good idea or not. Um, it's a, it's a, a very interesting time we live in where everything's being done remotely as well. That presents its own set of challenges. Um, so I won't make excuses, nor will I make assumptions, but I will say that I think the thing we can't do right now is be, is, is be quiet and not do anything. All right. Let me uh, turn to the uh, budget. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the $20 million or so dollar bond issue uh, that you approved, city council approved with your support uh, to give permission to the administration to do it. Uh, is that unprecedented? Do you know? Are you talking about the Red Cedar, the drain, the Montgomery drain project? Uh, I'm talking, no. I'm oh, talking the, I'm sorry, the, um, the cash flow uh, bonds. Yes, I'm sorry, the, the, what is it, the tax anticipatory notes. Um, I don't know that it's unprecedented, but it's certainly not something that I think the city has done in recent memory, um, where we aren't sure we're going to meet um, cash flow because when you look at the state guides, I'm sorry, the state has suspended tax collections and allowed for the extension of tax deadlines, and so too has the city. Um, that that hampers cash flow. We budgeted a budget expecting these dollars to be in the city treasury. And when they're not there because we've given extensions on those payments, it presents a cash flow issue. Now, we fully expect those dollars to be there, um, you know, when push comes to shove. So these, these tax anticipatory notes are actually um, an ability to sort of bridge that gap. They're a a lower interest, much larger scale payday lending operation where we know the money's coming. So we've borrowed to make our bills, uh, to pay our bills, to pay our payroll um, without having to uh, either make cuts or dip into the fund reserves. That's what those are all about. And it's not uncommon in municipal government. Um, in fact, if you look at um, school districts across the state, many use um, state aid borrowing to because they anticipate their payments coming from the state, but they have to make payment payroll in the summer. So it's not uncommon for um, public bodies to do these types of things. I just think it's not something that we in the city of Lansing have ever done, or at least in recent memory. Uh, is there any concern about the uh, burden, the additional financial burden this would put on the city? Uh, will the city be able to afford to pay this back? Well, I believe so. When you look at all the economic modeling, this doesn't appear to be a long-term um, economic recession like we faced in 2008. The, the V looks to be uh, rather sharp, um, at least what I've seen from the state. So I don't think there's a concern about a long term. In fact, we may be able to avoid these altogether if this administration, I haven't checked to see if the administration's taken them out yet, but if they haven't, we may be able to avoid them altogether. And if not, we, we might even be able to pay them off sooner um, when those payments come in. Uh, the, uh, I believe about 500 employees now are furloughed on Fridays, uh, but no sacrifice uh, from the administration. I realize uh, any sacrifice by city council is uh, peanuts, but it is symbolic. Uh, I'm rather surprised at that. Uh, well, I, um, I don't know the inner workings of the ninth floor, but I do believe that everybody, cabinet, cabinet level on down or on the, the work share program, sure, uh, as well. And as far as city council goes, I know there's a resolution going uh, forward Monday night for a reduction in our pay, which technically we can't do so that the, the resolution speaks to the city council members are encouraged to donate 10% of our elected officers compensation committee um, 
salary back to the city. You know, one of the things I had proposed maybe or thought about out loud rather was um, allowing the, that, that shared sacrifice to be made by donating to local charities like the food banks, you know, figuring that the dollar might go farther. Cause my, my $2,000, you know, back to the city, city general fund checking account doesn't do a lot, but maybe $2,000 for the food bank might, but I, I don't know where that conversation will go. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to write the check back um, in, in a, in a show of solidarity with folks um, at city hall. Peter Spadafore, thanks so much for being on City Pulse. Thank you, bro. You have a great day. You're listening to City Pulse on the air on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Now let's bring in MSU political scientist Matt Grossman for his weekly take on the 2020 presidential campaign. Matt, what's caught your attention since the last time we talked? Well, we still have a, a lot of news uh, coming in. Uh, in, the, in the presidential race, it looks like uh, Biden... Uh, has inched up uh, a bit and expanded his lead uh, somewhat. Uh, we, of course, have the ongoing uh, protests against uh, police brutality we, and the coronavirus crisis continuing. Um, and then we actually got some uh, positive uh, economic news uh, uh, Friday morning. So a lot going on that could uh, affect uh, the political situation down the road. Well, uh, feel free to take them one at a time. <laughs> well, the um, the polling data um, that we have, have gotten recently uh, has has been both nationally and uh, in uh, states uh, good for Biden, uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, that is, he's uh, doing better in all of uh, the swing states from uh, last time, and uh, some uh, that that would be uh, expansions of the board uh, for Democrats. Um, and his uh, national lead looks to have gone from about five or six to about uh, seven or eight. So uh, if the election were held today, uh, Joe Biden would be in a much better position. A better, uh, enough of a better position to overcome uh, an electoral college defeat. Uh, yes, uh, it looks like uh, if you had to guess, you would say that uh, President Trump will still have an electoral college advantage relative to the popular vote. Um, but that is in the neighborhood of two to four percentage points. Um, and like I said, there's some there's some evidence from the state polls that uh, his electoral college advantage may not be as big uh, as it was against Hillary Clinton. Uh, does the new polling uh, data take into uh, consideration the uh, events of this week, especially his uh, march from the White House to the church? Uh, it mostly precedes um, any effects of, of this week, um, and we don't know yet whether it is a reaction to Trump's uh, response to the protests or if it is uh, really the, the kind of coming down of Trump's very small bounce that he had uh, in the wake of the initial coronavirus response. And speaking of which, uh, what's new on the coronavirus front? Well, uh, we are learning a lot about the, the potential uh, effects of easing the uh, restrictions. Um, I don't think it's too soon to say what the, what those effects uh, might be, but uh, they're certainly going forward uh, kind of regardless of the, the data on the ground in, in various states. So it looks like we're opening uh, nationally, uh, and that has uh, economic effects, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get to see whether the health effects materialize. All right. Anything else you want to bring up before I start questioning you? 
Uh, go ahead. Oh, well, the economic data, I'll just say that the economic data is, um, you know, a, a traditionally very important for the president's reelection. Um, and we just got a jobs report that um, was much better than expected in terms of uh, basically some of those people who had uh, been laid off as a result of the coronavirus uh, seem to have come back to work in industries like construction and restaurants. Uh, government is the main sector uh, where employment continues to decline um, at quick levels. Uh, so we're seeing kind of a bifurcation where it looks like the federal stimulus efforts, which were focused on uh, the private sector rather than the public sector, uh, are working, um, but that may have uh, big consequences down the road. Yeah, big political consequences. Uh, yes, in general, um, you know, good economic news is, of course, good for uh, the president. Um, but uh, sometimes uh, people do uh, fault their uh, state leaders if it looks like uh, the state is doing uh, differently than the than the national economy. Uh, so those states where we're going to start to see huge uh, layoffs of, of teachers and other public employees, if there's no federal stimulus. Uh, could uh, face uh, more localized political consequences. Uh, we're talking to political scientist Matt Grossman from Michigan State University. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. Uh, Matt, in the uh, presidential race, uh, the New York Times uh, uh, published a story Friday on uh, how Trump may be sliding a bit in his support from evangelicals. How important are they to him? Well, it's a big part of the, the base. Um, I will say uh, political scientists are uh, a bit cautious in <laughs> declaring that it's religion affecting politics rather than the reverse. Uh, that is, there is actually evidence that people change uh, their uh, affiliation in response to their political attitudes rather than the reverse. Um, so a lot of people now associate evangelical Christianity with uh, conservatism and the Republican Party. And so as a result, uh, people who are Republicans and are conservatives are more likely to, to stick with that religious identification. Um, but nonetheless, it's considered one of his uh, best groups. And uh, so if he's declining there, that pretty much means he's declining everywhere. Uh, I'm sure uh, a lot of people like me are, uh, to switch subjects a bit, are getting solicitations for uh, the Democratic opponent to uh, Mitch McConnell in Kentucky. Uh, I think her name is Amy McGrath. Uh, tell us, your, what's your take at the moment on uh, the, what Senate races uh, may be uh, up in the air for Republicans? Well, Democrats uh, look to be in, in much better shape there uh, as well than they were a couple of months ago. Um, they need four wins, assuming they're going to lose uh, Alabama and win the presidency. Um, big assumptions, of course. But uh, if, uh, if, they, if they do that, um, then they would need uh, Arizona and Colorado, which uh, seem to be the most likely at the moment. Um, and then they would need Maine and North Carolina is seemingly the best other option on, on the board, but you have uh, places like Montana uh, and Georgia, uh, and then, as you mentioned, a couple of uh, um, less likely but, but still possible uh, options out there. Um, that said, uh, we're in a time of kind of nationalized fundraising, and Amy McGrath has been very good at, at doing that. Uh, I wouldn't count on uh, that race as a major Democratic pickup opportunity. 
this week, uh, the Senate, uh, the Republican-dominated uh, Senate, went along with the Democratic-dominated House by extending PPP money pretty much along the lines of what the House approved. Uh, do you see any shift here as the election approaches in uh, how uh, Republican senators uh, need to govern, feel they need to govern? Well, we, we have seen some bipartisanship on the early stimulus uh, efforts, uh, but what is uh, looking uh, much more consequential now is that at the, at the federal level, they extended uh, the private uh, sector bailout uh, without uh, providing the state and local government money that the Democrats uh, in the House were uh, expecting. And um, now you're going to start to see Republicans. I saw Stephen Moore uh, this morning, uh, for example, said, well, we don't need any more stimulus now because the economy is doing better. So uh, that's going to mean it's going to be harder to get this next leg of, of stimulus funding that is going to be dominated by state and local government support. And uh, speaking of Stephen's, uh, Stephen King in Iowa lost. Uh, should we read anything into that, or is he just too ex- uh, is he an extreme anomaly? Well, uh, this is the uh, one uh, case where pretty much everyone was happy, the National Republican Party and the National Democratic Party, uh, that uh, he lost in, in this primary, had lost the support of his uh, party and was uh, hated uh, by uh, lots lots of people and was uh, as open in white supremacy as you as you get in uh, elected American politics um, and so there's there's not um, not much uh, not not many crying over his loss um, that said of course we did have an election this week and um, there were signs that uh, incumbents uh, can lose in primaries not just the second one uh, to lose uh, this uh, year in the U.S. House, but also in state legislative races. Uh, It looks like five uh, members of the Montana state legislature, Republicans, lost in their primaries, and then uh, major members of the New Mexico uh, Senate uh, lost in their Democratic uh, primaries. Uh, We had people lose in Pennsylvania as well. Uh, so it does look like, um, although the incumbent, you know, re-election rate is still very high and in primaries is even higher, um, there, there's enough organization now uh, where uh, primary challengers can develop and uh, can, can take out incumbents. Uh, and that's not just at the federal level, but at the state level as well. Very good. Matt Grossman from Michigan State University, thank you once again for being on City Pulse. Thank you. This is City Pulse on WDBM at Michigan State University. That's 88.9 on your FM dial. Thanks for listening this morning or whenever you may have tuned us in. And I'll talk to you next week for City Pulse. I'm Burl Schwartz.